This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Just to give you a heads up, one of us is bound to say something not suitable for little ears. It is, after all, the one hour a day I spend away from my children. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, July 1st, the I Don't Want to Trailblaze edition. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's nine, Oliver, who's seven, and Teddy, who's four, and we live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm Dan Kois. I'm a writer for Slate and the author of the book, How to Be a Family. I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 16, and Harper, who's 13, and we live in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Parent Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is eight, and we live in Los Angeles, California. On today's show, we've got a question from a parent who is wondering how to help her 10-year-old who struggled to learn during this last year of school. What can she do to help her daughter catch up this summer? Then we're advising a hardworking architect who really wants some architect mom role models to look up to when trying to figure out a work-life balance. Stepping in to help is Dr. Barbara Faga, who has blazed her own trail as a professional parent and an urban planner. And on Slate Plus, you get an extra special bonus question about a girl who kicked her brother in the balls. Now the parents are wondering how to let her know that it's an extra sensitive location, you know, without making it a target for a potential knockout. But first, we're going to kick off the show with some triumphs and fails. So, Dan, you first. I think kick off the show is inappropriate in light of the plus (laughs) segment. And I'd like to ask that that be stricken from the record. I have a Disney triumph because we were at Disney. Elizabeth, you just left Florida, so uh, you you no longer have to deal with the insanity that is Disney World on the regs. Uh, But we went for a couple of days after school let out. We bought some tickets over spring break because the school year was so truly terrible that we wanted to find some way to reward our children for making it through the world's most awful school year. And we asked them what they wanted, and we thought they would say something sophisticated and teenagery, but instead they were both like, we want to go to Disney World. So we said, sure, we will take you to Disney World. My triumph is a uh, is a family's triumph. I mean, you know, it's anyone who's gone to Disney World knows that it... No matter how long you are there, it is an epic journey filled with a lot of ups and downs as you navigate crowds and heat and insanity and uh, your own corporate guilt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to just pick out one particular triumph. I'm a real planner when it comes to Disney World. I turn into like, in fact, Ollie at one point referred to me as Turbo Dan in homage to Turbo Jeff. And, you know, but Alia, too, just neither of us like standing in lines. We're the kind of people who, if there's a traffic jam and there's a way to drive around it that maybe takes five minutes longer, but at least you're moving, we'll just do that. And, you know, this is the first time going to Disney with much older kids. And so they're a lot more into the really big ticket rides that often have really long lines, the roller coasters and stuff like that. And so, you know, we... I hadn't like scheduled out the day to some insane degree, but I definitely had like an idea of like, we should do these things in this order. And that's, this is the way to maximize our ride time and minimize our line time. But I also knew that it was really, really hot and muggy and stormy. And so everything was kind of up in the air. So anyways, on our day in the magic kingdom, it's like 94 fucking degrees, but also storming. Uh, all day, classic Florida day. And there's, so there's a lot of lightning. So rides kept getting shut down and we like, we waited in line for splash mountain for a while, only to have it break down and get sent out of line. And so we had a good time and we did things we wanted to do, but the kids and we were like very worn out by the afternoon. And so a big thunderstorm was obviously coming. Like you could hear thunder on the in the distance and the clouds were getting even more ominous than before. And so like I thought, well, we could like try and push and like do a bunch of indoor rides. But then I looked at the app and the lines for those were crazy because everyone was also thinking the same thing. So finally we all agreed, all right, well, let's like just relax a little bit. Let's have some downtime. So we like went to one of the crappy carry out restaurants in Frontierland or wherever and got extremely bad nachos 
and, you know, fought off 25 other families for a table. And then we just like sat there and ate nachos and drank refills and played cards for like an hour and a half in the middle of the afternoon at Disney World. And it was very relaxing. It was air conditioned. (laughs) Everyone sort of wound down and got a little bit of a second wind. And then after we'd been there for about an hour and a half, I think Lyra looked at the app on her phone and was like, hey, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad just reopened and it has a five minute wait. And so suddenly the kids were like totally re-energized and they were like, let's go. We're going to go. And they like ran out the door and were like, you know, throwing the tray away and putting the cards away and following them. And they're like power walking up the hill to the roller coaster and like joking with each other and having a great time. And it was like the brightness had returned to the whole experience. And so we rode the roller coaster with no weight at all. And they just laughed hysterically the whole time because it was still raining and rain was pelting us in the face as we're going along the roller coaster. And then we get out and it's <laughs> raining harder, but there's no yeah. lightning and th- and we see that Splash Mountain has just opened up and there's no line there so that we run over to Splash Mountain. And then we just laugh our way through that as rain pelts us in the face as we go down the big drop. It was like a big, wonderful end to that day, which had been fun, but also like very tiring and very difficult. And it, and it, the reason it was so great was because we had downshifted and chilled out and like not tried to do a bunch of things at a bad time and instead just sort of took a break from the entire Disney madness. And that was good. And that felt like a triumph in the midst of all the many other fails of the trip, which I won't bring up at this time. I think that that's a great triumph on its own, but like in the context of the past year and a half, I think that even playing cards in an air-conditioned room on the Disney campus, eating bad nachos, compared to, say, like, last July, (laughs) is a treat. It did really feel like, oh, I mean, and Disney obviously has a vested interest in making you feel like, oh, everything's back to normal. And there were things about it that were still, that made us a little anxious about the crowds. uh, And there was still masking in some places, like on transportation. But it was a really great, like, oh, we can have a big exhale and like just do things that are in some ways purely frivolous after the stress of the last, you know, year plus. And that was nice as well. The nachos really did suck though. Yeah. But you know, it was all part of the, the sucking nachos was part of the experience. You didn't have to make the nachos and they weren't in your kitchen. Absolutely. For the first time in a year and four months, I did not make lunch for my children. So that was great. I think that taking the downtime is such a huge win and maybe something that we all learned over like the quarantine and shutdown and all of that to just be able to say like we don't have to max perform this day because that's always the advice they give like if you have little kids and you go to disney it's like don't try to do the whole day but like it's good advice for anybody i think like having that downtime right but there's also a lot of pressure after a year of not doing anything when you're finally doing something to be like we're gonna do it And we, I definitely felt that at first, like we are finally doing something fun, so we'd better fucking maximize the fun. So I think it maybe cuts both ways. But anyway, I triumphed. Great that's job. Total nothing triumph. bad. Total nothing else bad. <laughs> nothing else bad happened to Disney that's worth speaking about at this time. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, Jamila, what do you have for us? Well, I have a fail, but there's a hint of triumph still there. Last week's triumph was having a very reasonable and loving conversation with my mother about her trip needing to end. She's been here. She had been here. Well, you all, you guys weren't here. She has been here. Had, no, but it was a really great sequel yeah. to the previous episode. Yes. So she had been here until since May 10th. And the original plan was for her to leave on June 12th, which became something else and then became July 4th. I realized that Naima was traveling with her dad and his family from the 30th to the 5th. And then I was like, wait, so I'm just not going to have my house to myself this summer, like on any holiday weekend? No, this cannot be. She had, this has to end. Um, you were staying for Naima and you're getting stuck with me. And so we talked through it. She, you know, we rebook her for June 29th, Tuesday, when we recorded the show, the morning that we recorded the show. And so the night before she says to me, so she has an eight something flight right i think it's 8 30 and she's like no it's 8 45 i'm like okay cool and she's like you know i think you should book me a taxi i'm like no she's like it's so early for the baby to have to get up i'm like she doesn't have camp it's no big deal like we'll take you we don't have to be clean we just have to be present we'll take you to the airport somehow we make her late and she misses her flight 
Like, we knew it on leaving the door. Like, I get in the car. I'm like, okay, cool. Our ETA is... Oh, and that's when I realized that this was not an 845 flight, that it was an 835 flight. And that difference matters when you're checking a bag. And so I realized when we're leaving the house, I'm like, okay, our arrival time is 7.59. That is not going to get us there to check your bag at 7... I mean, uh, rather, our arrival time is 7.59. You need to check your bag by 7.45, basically. Like, we have, you're going to have to go on the next flight. And I'm sitting there like they've had horrible weather in Chicago. And she's been mentioning it. Like, it's been storming four days. So, like, part of me had thought, like, okay, do we just, like, what do I do? Naeem is leaving tomorrow, period. Like, that's a thing that is happening. So, it's not that my mom's not welcome to stay with me, but I might have plans for tonight. Yeah. Overnight plans already. <laughs> so something's got like this. I thought you meant recording the podcast. Yeah. No, 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 I did oh. not. Mm. And so, mm. um, <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, this ha- I-, I just got to figure this out somehow. And so, luckily, she was able to get rebooked for like a flight that was a few hours later. She was really cool about it. I apologized to her profusely, you know, like. I think we had enough triumphs and fails towards each other between us over the course of the past six weeks. Whereas Naima would say every time she would say six weeks, Naima would say six and a half weeks, which I don't think that's correct. (laughs) Um, But she was always happy to contribute that half week. So there were lots of tears at the airport, particularly from Naima. It was kind of heartbreaking to watch how hard she was crying. And also a little bit like, hey, um, you do still (laughs) <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, you know, um, but uh, it, it was really sweet, too. And it was a great trip. The triumph is that she left. Uh, well, hopefully. Yeah. She, she's taking off in a matter of minutes. I do know that her collect her connecting flight is delayed. I feel bad about that because the other flight was nonstop. But, you know, things happen. She's loved and she knows that she's loved. And, and it was so good having her for six weeks. So the fail, of course, is of doing six and a half, six and a half. So the fail was us doing what we do and and making grandma late to the airport. But the triumph was not only that she was here, but that hopefully she has left. Because the we're the original separation anxiety codependent mommy-daughter duo. So there's a version of this where she doesn't leave until August. And I had to keep stopping myself from as like as much as I needed the house back from also not being like, hey, you know, you could just like stay. So there's definitely a version where while we're recording this podcast, she walks in the front door. (laughs) If my mother had it in her to navigate LA exit, which is what they call it. I see. It, All right. <laughs> like so we, you're protected from that. I'm protected from that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she, 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 she may call me and, retur- and yeah. request that I return to come get her. But LA exit, which is just such a tacky name, like all the buses from like, you have to take a shuttle from the terminal to the rideshare parking lot or whatever. And they literally call it LA exit. And it says LA exit on all the buses. Well, you know, it's like grandparents visiting is perfect because they leave. So I think it's a wonderful triumph that you had a wonderful visit, right? And now she's left. That's all good and appropriate. And Naima is also on her way leaving, right? And what a gift you gave her just that extra hour or two this morning with you. (laughs) Very sweet. In the car. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. Well, I am also going to have a fail this week. We had a week away doing a whole bunch of national parks with the kids. It was great. We got back late Sunday night due to traffic and this mudslide. And then Monday was completely crazy. Like we had painters coming and we had to move all this furniture and the kids have swim team. Like we just dove back into everything. The washer broke like it was crazy. So Monday night. The boys can't sleep in their room because it's just been painted and the paint is not dry. There's like paint fumes. So we decide to kind of split them up and I was going to get Teddy settled downstairs and Jeff was going to get Oliver settled upstairs in our room. And then we were just going to kind of figure out like get all the jobs done. But it was like so important that we just get the kids down. So I like get Teddy downstairs. He wants to call grandma and grandpa because that's the room that they stayed in when they were here. So he wants to like call them and say, I'm sleeping in your room. It's just just like such a workup trying to get the kids to bed after you've been on a trip. But I get Teddy down. It takes me like an hour, which is like unheard of here. Normally my kids are pretty easy to get down. And I go upstairs, Henry's asleep, and I open the door to our bedroom where Jeff is supposed to be dealing with Oliver and instantly like overwhelmed with the smell of hand lotion like 
And this very specific one that I keep in my bedside table is like citrusy. And Jeff is laying on the bed and he has an eye mask on and the earphones that I usually wear. And he's like holding in this like the way you lay someone in a coffin, this stuffed otter. And then I hear Oliver (laughs) coming from the bathroom and he is like, Oh, hello, lady. Would you like to come to my spa? <laughs> and he is carrying like toe separators and he is putting the toe separators not only on Jeff's toes, but on his fingers. <laughs> and he is like turning on podcasts, like just complete chaos. And I just burst into laughter like what has happened? You know, and they're so deep in this game that I I like can't even be like, okay, enough. We need to go to bed because he is just like so like Jeff is covered in lotion and is just I think he just had enough. I think at some point Jeff probably fell asleep and you know He was had, definitely um, asleep with an otter on his stomach. Yeah, yes, yes. And Oliver true. just had a great time. Yeah. He had he had calming music playing, but so that took like a long time to wind down. And then Jeff paid Oliver in real coins for the spa experience. And so now Oliver believes that this should be part of our nightly routine, right? Like that he, you know, he could do this and make some change. But that took about an hour to get him down. And then, of course, none of the things got done. So it's been a day of like putting all the furniture back myself and all of that because of spa night. But Oliver had a great time. So a, a triumph for and Jeff, Jeff and Oliver. Jeff must be super relaxed now. Yeah, he's super relaxed. He's, he's nice and moisturized with some very expensive hand cream. And um, I got no spa experience, got to put two kids down, you know, so <laughs> fail. It's a classic. I feel like parenting is often full of those Donald Glover walking in with pizzas moments where you you can't believe (laughs) what you see when you open the door. That's a good, that's a really good one. (laughs) Not this. That's a very good one. You know, but you don't want to, you don't want to wreck it either for them. I felt like, okay, well, I'll let this run its course. (laughs) Did you get any pictures of the fingers and the toe separators? I do have a picture. I'll send you a picture. I, it's, it's not even the toe separators that you use to paint your fingers. It's like, I have these toe separators that are like gel that are meant to like spread out your It's supposed to help you relax, like yoga toes. Um, That is what he had on (laughs) his fingers and his toes. (laughs) He he did keep asking for them to be removed, (laughs) and Oliver refused. (laughs) I I love it when a spy insists that I relax so hard. You know, you have to. I'm, I'm sure that's how Oliver was treating the spa day. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He's very excited. But anyway. relax. Here's an otter. <laughs> Here, hold this otter. It's very important to the experience. Exactly. So, you know, future career, maybe opportunity for him. We'll see. All right. Well, before we go any further, let's take care of some business. First, please subscribe to the show. It helps us out and the show will automatically show up in your feed. A win-win. And if you want even more of our show, you should become a Slate Plus member. You'll get a whole bonus segment every single week. Here's a sneak peek of what you could hear today. I think it's not hard at all or bad at all to talk about the fact that it just hurts more to be hurt in certain parts of your body than it does in other. It would hurt really bad to get poked in the eye, worse than it would to be poked somewhere else. And it hurts really bad to be hit in a sensitive spot like his private parts or yours than it does anywhere else. Not only will you get fun extra segments like that, but you'll get bonus episodes for shows like Slow Burn and Big Mood Little Mood and Unlimited Reading on the Slate website. So if you want to support us and support Slate, sign up for Slate Plus. It's only $1 for the first month. Just go to slate.com slash plus. Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about our parenting content, including mom and dad are fighting, care and feeding, and much more. It's a personal email from Dan every week. Sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. But first, let's take a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we're back. All right. Well, on to our first listener question. It's being read, as always, by the fabulous Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, I just got my 10-year-old daughter's report card, and it was pretty mediocre. I wasn't expecting amazing things from this last school year, but I'm concerned about the amount of things it said she struggled with, particularly writing and math. I'm wondering if anyone here has recommendations to help her with these things over the summer. I am a high school teacher and can help her, but I really want to make the most of our time if I'm having her do academic work in the summer. All right. You, letter writer, our teacher... I deeply respect your desire to make sure that your kid is not falling behind. I recognize your concern. I felt it myself, but I think you got to just absolutely let it go. You got to not put any pressure on your kid to try and learn anything this summer. I think you need to let your kid have this summer off. Let you have this summer off. I think that you need to remember that Every child in your child's class is coming back to school next year behind in some way and that you have to trust that your school over the next year and years and years that your child is going to be in that system is going to find ways to collect up the kids who are hardworking and conscientious but who didn't do as well as they might have done in the school year from hell and help usher them towards success. And I think you'd need to not put that on yourself this summer of all summers when you and your kid have just been through hell. So I'm very curious what you both have to say on this one. And I can totally see an argument that, you know, you simply, you just have to keep on kids to avoid the summer slump. But I feel like this, if for like 20 year olds, this is the hot vac summer. I feel like for school kids, this should be, well, and, and Jamila, uh, I feel like for elementary school children, this needs to be the slumping summer. You just need to embrace the slump and understand that everyone is going to be a little bit behind when the new school year starts. And every teacher is going to understand that and accommodate that. And please don't stress out about it. But I would like to know what you guys think. I mostly agree. I would say I think it's worth trying to understand, particularly before there's a lot of distance between the closing of the school year and getting, uh, you know, fully into summer break mode, kind of what happened or what has been happening. So, like, what are the differences between this report card and the one you got at the close of last year? And I understand that this may have been the transition from pass-fail to real grades, or this is a time academically where kids are being assessed a little bit more seriously. But if there are some things that you see have been consistent problems that perhaps weren't big problems before, that became bigger problems over the pandemic, and you kind of understand what you're up against going into next year, I think you can pause with that in mind, as opposed to saying this is a thing that we will deal with when the school year begins. And as inclined as I am to 100% support just letting it all go for the summer and not dealing with any sort of academic enrichment, I do think that uh, you mentioned reading being a challenge. It's 
at the foundation of everything that your kid is going to do at school. And there's this unique opportunity because reading is something that can be done for pleasure that you can, by bolstering your child's confidence and reading skills, help them to find school to be, if not more compelling, at the very least, easier to survive. And that can lead to better academic performance. So I think that I would perhaps set like what's going on with the reading that she's struggling with. Can you, how can you address that over the summer? How can you uh, ritualize leisure reading in a way that does not feel like it's either a punishment for the report card or a continuation of the school year, but just a thing that's important to do? I think that the reading piece, I just wouldn't let go for the summer. Yeah, I also think that I guess I'm going to give advice of some suggestions of things I think that you could do, but none of those are because of the report card. I think that summer is a great time to spend time with your kids, building confidence and working on skills in a way that is fun and doesn't feel like school. And there are lots of options for that. And so I think if the feedback you got was, these are areas in which your daughter is struggling, there are things you can do over the summer to build confidence in those areas that, again, don't feel like sit down and do this work or I'm going to teach you what you didn't get taught. Because I think Dan is absolutely right that all of that is kind of irrelevant at this point. Like the school year was tough. The schools are going to deal with that. Or we need this time of kind of like the summer, the fun summer part. But I think there are things out there because when kids struggle in math, so often it is about confidence and about feeling confident that when you look at this more advanced math problem, I think they said that the letter writer says they're 10. So we're talking, you know, fifth grade math. So much of that is like, are your foundations there so that when you're doing this harder math, you feel good about those foundations. And there are so many great like card games and online games that your daughter might be into that are fun to integrate this summer that can help with that. You know, I'm a big fan of Prodigy, which is a computer game that makes doing some math and playing in this kind of wizard world really fun. There's a free version. You could give that a try and just suggest I would bet a lot of um, her friends are playing. Like it is something my kids are constantly talking about with their friends at swim team and everybody is playing this game. So that is a really good way. I know they're getting some math practice, building some confidence, but they're also doing these like video game type things that they like. There's also like if you're sitting down to play games, my kids like to play card games with us. That's something over the summer that I have time for. So there's things like proof and math rush and prime climb. And all of those are good foundational math building games that are also super fun. So I think integrating those. And then you also mentioned like this reading and and writing piece. And I think Jamila is completely right about being, you know, like this is a time to introduce some pleasure reading. And if she's not liking what you're reading in school, use this time to to together explore different types of writing, different types of things she can read. And there are so many ways that you can integrate writing into your daily summer schedule that feel fun. Because I think, again, if you're struggling in writing, it's more about the more you do it, right? So you don't necessarily need to be correcting it for her, any of that, but just having her engage in the process of writing throughout the summer. And this can be things like the whole family is going to do a gratitude journal or is going to, you know, write poetry or you're going to journal or you can even, um, we integrated writing into our trip planning by having the kids put together their own itineraries. Like there are so many different ways, write a play and have the family film it. Like there are things you can do as a family that are sort of more in the fun category, but also just building her confidence in these so that when you get back to school, it doesn't feel like the, like a struggle that you knew they were behind in catching up. But like, hey, you were, you know, this summer we did this and you were actually doing math and or you wrote these beautiful things this summer about this. This assignment is not that different from that. So I just think you kind of have the gift of time right now and can come up with some fun ways. But I definitely discourage you from like trying to buy some kind of curriculum or something at this point. Like everybody needs a break from that. If you must do a workbook, my kids are huge fans of the BrainQuest summer books, which are have like a variety of all the skills. 
schools and they come bridging the gap between two grades and they love them because they're like silly and fun and have some writing and math, but they get stickers to complete this math. And we do a like pick your prize, you know, at Target or something when they finish. So if if you feel like a workbook is what you need, that's a good option, too. That's really like low threat. This stuff is like more on the fun side than on the hard side. But I don't know. Those are some some examples. But definitely whatever you do, don't stress her out. Elizabeth, as always, has a bunch of really good ideas where I offer nothing but uh, no judgment, <laughs> but judgment. But and and I think what I responded to most strongly in this was this idea that that the letter writer wants to make the most of their time while they're doing academic work. And that just like rang these alarm bells in my brain. And of course, you both are absolutely correct that in both of these skill sets in both math and writing there are plenty of fun things that you can do uh that do not that are not academic work that are not forcing a kid to sit down and do homework in some way that is going to you know seem to the child like she is being punished for her report card and every child is different but i will also say that if i was this kid and i had just gotten through this year even if my grades dropped and my high school teacher mom suddenly gave off even a whiff of me having to do math video games, I would fucking lose it. And so I would just urge you, whatever you do, to be very aware of your child's responses and how your child is connecting or not connecting to whatever you choose to do with her. And if you get the sense that even the fun math games are just just feel like a big drag to her, then just drop it. Don't push it. Please just drop it because you will be doing your kids such a favor if you do. Yeah, mental health first, definitely. I think care for her mental health first and then any academic needs. I agree. And reading is fundamental. Yeah. <laughs> Go get it. I've book. heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> well, hopefully some of that advice helps and we'd love an update on how it's going. Everyone else, if you have a question, email us at slate.com or post it to the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right. On to our next question. Dear Mom and Dad, I've always been ambivalent about having children, but now that I'm in my early 30s and my career is thriving, I'm particularly confused. My husband and I work as architects for separate firms in a large, expensive city. We are fully in the rat race. As architects, we're definitely not saving lives, but our industry is weirdly demanding considering the inconsequential work that we do. Our work culture is also historically discriminatory towards those who are not male or white. Though my husband and I are very fulfilled by our jobs, we are also both pretty stressed out, and we've had some experience discussing our anxiety issues in therapy. We come home completely exhausted, and I have absolutely no idea how we would work a kid into our lives. Though it's embarrassing to admit, I feel like life is hard enough already, and I don't think I'm strong enough to take on the wild responsibilities of parenthood. With these circumstances in mind, I would really appreciate having mom architects to look up to, but I don't really know any with similar positions at similar firms. The mom architects I know have either started their own small practices, which I don't have the capital for, moved to less prestigious firms, which I suppose is an option, or left the field entirely. I find this deeply depressing, and I can see how it's affected the firm where I work. At only 31, I'm my office's highest female-ranking employee. I'm very lucky that I'm highly valued and recognized at my job, and my boss would likely accommodate any request for more flexibility and time off. But my office has never done that for another employee before, and as much as I hate to admit it, I'm just not interested in the grueling work of being a trailblazer in this arena. I guess my question is, do you have any thoughts on the happiness trade-off of scaling back at work as a mom, especially if you love your job and are ambivalent about having children? 
Of course, my husband has plenty of dad examples to look up to in our industry. Were there mom examples at your jobs that you looked up to? Well, joining us to help answer this question is Dr. Barbara Fega. She's currently a professor of professional practice in urban design at Rutgers. Prior to teaching, she spent 30 years as an author, professor, and professional urban planner. But I know her best as my mom's best friend and one of my biggest cheerleaders. So welcome to the show, Barbara. Thank you, Elizabeth. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I just thought you were so uniquely qualified to help us answer this question. So for those who aren't as familiar with the demographics in the architecture community, is it safe to say that it skews male? Definitely skews male. It's getting better. And in any of the design industries, it's uh, pretty much by the time you get to graduate school, 50% women, 50% men. Architecture is a little tougher. Right now, they're saying it's 30% undergraduate women and 17% actually practice architecture. So people get out of it early for different reasons, and possibly motherhood is one of them. So do you have advice for our letter writer? Like, I'm sure that in teaching you've run into this and certainly when you were in practice, you know, ran into some of this. So what kind of advice can you give her about her path forward? Well, I read the letter. Thank you for sending it. The part that struck me is at the end where she talks about ambivalent about having children. It's tough to give up things and Put yourself in a motherhood role if you're ambivalent. You really have to think you want to have children in order to, to we all, those of us who have children know it's a sacrifice. And I had plenty of friends over the years who did not have children and would say to me, how do you do this? How can you possibly pull this off? And it's a, it's a balancing act and you have to want to do it in order to do it. So that struck me in the letter as I was a little concerned about that. And you don't have to have children. I would never tell anyone when uh, later on in life, a few of my friends who did not have children said, why didn't you tell me to have children? I said, I would never tell somebody to do that. I mean, it was good for me and I enjoyed it. And yeah. and I I have spoken to my daughter who uh, about this and she said the same. She always wanted to have children and she has children, has a full-time job. Do notice though, I was thinking about this the other night. None of my personal friends had not worked over time. They all had had professions, and whether they had children or not, I was trying to put it into perspective of do I have friends who worked or didn't work or had children and didn't have children? And most of my friends had professions and have children. So I guess you you become friends with the people who are most like you or handle things the same way you do, I guess. Barbara, you um, have three kids. Did you have them early in your career? Or like, where were you in your career when you had? It's in my late 20s when I started having them. And I had three children within five years. So as I'm an, a planner, I'm not so good a planner. <laughs> that, but, um, but they were all, you know, they grew up together and they were all great. And they all have, they, each of them have children now. So I, I'm assured that at least they thought that was a good way to <laughs> grow up. And we enjoy having grandchildren. So that's great now. But I did have them quick and I did have, yeah. I had a lot of, male bosses at the time who would show up and look at me and go, oh my God, you're pregnant again. So that was not a, that was a problem. <laughs> Barbara, I'm so struck by what you said about ambivalence. And, you know, we've had conversations about parenting ambivalence on the show a number of times before, I think, including in our very first episode. And I've always sort of steadfastly held the position that if you are at all ambivalent about having kids, then like don't have kids. There's no rule that says you have to have kids. Um, but I'm struck in this letter that it seems like a substantial part of the ambivalence is not internal, but is externally derived. It comes from the environment at her career. It, you know, it comes from the environment at her firm. And so you can imagine a universe in which if the environment feels more suitable for a mother to be working there and raising kids, some of that ambivalence might 
be transformed to the kind of enthusiasm that you, that I sort of think you need to want to have kids. And so I'm curious if based on your experience, are there things that a woman in a high pressure male dominated place, like a big architecture firm can do to ease the motherhood path somewhat? And I mean, I know this is a big question that people have written 10 million books about, but I'm curious if you have seen techniques in your career that have really helped women in this position make the place they're working feel more welcoming to this idea before they even pursue that idea. Uh, Good question, Dan. What I notice is if there's other people in the office, in the profession who have children, then that helps. That clears the path. When I started not many people had children, and most of the people in my large firm, it was a, a firm with several offices around the country, the men had children, but their wives stayed home. And I think they expected that once I got pregnant, I would stay home. I didn't. I went back to work. And I think that's another discussion that you could have a whole other panelist talk to you about. But the fact that if you are in the situation where you are working and the rest of the group, hedge fund people, lawyers, you know, I find this all over. And I talk to a lot of women and have done a a lot of work on this over the years. And I also do it with my graduate students too, because they ask me, how do you have children and still work? And it's something that you have to bring to the group there and say, this is what I'm planning to do. And nowadays, they can't tell you we're going to fire you immediately, which was what I was afraid of when I was first pregnant, was as soon as they noticed I was pregnant, they would fire me because that's what they did back in those days. Now, what I find is women actually help pave the way for the next women coming up who are going to want to have a family and can sometimes structure their own maternity leave, which is important because back then there wasn't maternity leave. You just left. And then if they let you come back, you could come back. I always went back. One thing that made me kind of sad about the letter, uh, and I deeply relate to it. I, in my work as a writer, have struggled as a single mother. I can't name many mothers um, who either, if they're single mothers, their mothers are much older children that I can point to their career and say, okay, you're doing, you know, some of the things that I would want to do, or you're doing them at a pace in which I would want to do it, right? It's usually like, okay, we can get back to our careers once our children are a bit older, or we've, you know, moved on from this part of our lives. Like, it it doesn't mean the same. It doesn't, you know, like, I just watched doors unlocking for women who didn't have children and for men, regardless of their parental status, at a at a time where my daughter was really young, and it broke my heart, you know, and I felt very lost like you know like like I I was not going to choose I'd chosen to protect and to continue the career but I wasn't going to abandon my child in service of it either right and that on some level I know in some of the little spaces I've been in I did things differently like in terms of bringing my child around or like the way I spoke about her you know that she was a part of what I what I was and how I showed up and how that kind of led to other mothers you know or people who would eventually become parents having that space to do that and like when the letter writer said I'm not really interested in the work of being a, a trailblazer here um, it made me sad because you know as much as someone seemingly needs to be that in her workspace there's so much weight that comes with that expectation that like now I, this person who never signed up to be a hero or an activist or a leader in any way, all I wanted to do was have a job and also have a family have to blaze this trail as somebody who was doing this work at a time in which it just wasn't common that you were going to both have the positions that you did and have the size of the family that you did. Were there any moments where you just felt like, I've had enough of doing this thing that I haven't looked at. Like, I I just, I feel too lonely. I feel too isolated. And perhaps I was wrong. Maybe you can't have it all. It's a good question. I don't think I ever felt like that. I felt like I should be able to have it all. And I felt like I'd invested so much in in an education that I needed to be able to do that work and also to show my children that if you have an education, you should do the most you can to work in your profession. I will confess, though, at one point, I did not 
often talk about my children or mention to people I had children. And a lot of the men, I don't think even knew I was married or had children. And then one day it all just came crashing down on me. I was uh, the chairman of a big organization and I walked into the ladies room and one of the other women who I knew fairly well, not really well. And I was in San Francisco and I walked in the ladies room and she says, you know, the only reason you can chair this organization is because you're divorced and don't have any children. (laughs) And I was like taken aback. I mean, even when I say this, I still start sweating. (laughs) And I, I was just stunned that someone would think that was me. And after that, I tell everybody I have children. I would talk about it in uh, as a designer you go to interviews and interview with corporations or developers or whatever and i would say look i am good for this job because i have children my children use these playgrounds or my children come to this organization or my children are going to college to become people who will be in your office building or i would always use that afterwards but i was just stunned that that's when I thought that's what people think of me, I don't want that. I want them to know I have children and a husband. I mean, by that time, I'd been married 20 some years. So that was just stunning. Well, where did all the moms go? Thank you so much for writing in. And Barbara, thank you so much for all the wonderful advice. Well, I enjoy listening to you all. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you, Dr. Faga. Thank you. Anyone else out there, do you want us to magically pair you with the perfect person to give you advice? Well, tough luck. You get us. But we give really good advice, we promise. So email us at slate.com. Let's move on to recommendations. Jamila, what do you have for us? Well, this week, I'm making the recommendation that I had actually intended for last week when our guest host, Rebecca, recommended Chico's, and I was forced (laughs) to come up with something uh, to counterbalance that. But I am recommending (laughs) the biography, the first biography, uh, autobiography of Diane Carroll, simply titled Diane, exclamation point. It was released when she was 49 and at the height of her dynasty stardom. And it is a really fascinating look at a deeply complicated, deeply fascinating diva. And I love a good diva autobiography. And this is one for the ages. And there's a second one that I read years ago, and I think she wrote when she was 72, called The Legs Are the Last to Go, which is also a delicious read. But I would start with Diane, exclamation point, if you can. How does it compare or not compare to Mariah's book? Well, I mean, Mariah's In the the realm of diva autobiographies. I mean, Mariah's book is just a cultural moment. It's just so <laughs> much, but there is some juice in here. And I challenge anyone to read this and look at Sidney Portier the same way. Whoa. I'll just say that. That's very tempting. Nice. <laughs> to serve with hate, I say. <laughs> All right. My recommendation isn't nearly that juicy, but I am going to make a Disney-related recommendation because... I mean, we spent all that money. I need to get something out of it. And if I recommend something from Disney, I get to deduct the whole trip on my taxes. So I'm just here to say that against all odds, the Star Wars Rise of the Resistance ride at Hollywood Studios is worth it. And um, I will explain that by explaining what you have to do to get on this ride. This is a new ride at Hollywood Studios. It's very popular, needless to say, and it also has very low capacity and it also breaks all the time because it's unbelievably complicated. So they can't just have lines because if they had lines, you people would be waiting seven hours to be on this ride. So instead, they have this whole system where you use the Disney app at 7 a.m. on the day that you want to go on the ride. And at exactly 7, you have to like click a button on the app and cross your fingers that you get one of the boarding groups And I watched like five different YouTube videos about how to do this. And you apparently only have seven seconds before all the boarding groups fill up. And so you have to like call up the world clock website on one computer. So you know exactly when it's going to turn 7 a.m. According to like the scientists in Greenwich. And so the night before we went to Hollywood Studios, I had two different stress dreams about not getting (laughs) Rise of the Resistance seats that woke me up like in a cold sweat. 
in our cars themed hotel room. And then at like 6.55, Ollie and I got all four of our family's phones and laid them out on the bed and just started refreshing each of them over and over and over again until we got the spot. So anyways, that's what you have to do to get a spot on the ride. Uh, so then we went to Hollywood studios and finally our time came up and unbelievably it was really fun. Like, even though none of us care about star Wars, really, we all walked out of that ride going, that was amazing. The kids were like, that was so much fun. We loved it. Can we do it again? And we said, no, absolutely not. There's no physical way to do it. Sorry, kids. I don't want to explain too much about it, but it's basically, it's like every innovation in amusement park rides of the last 20 years has all been jammed together into one 20 minute thing that you do where you like move to different spaces and have a bunch of different things happen to you. And for a while it's a dark ride. And then it's more like a, almost like a roller coaster. Plus there's like Imperial guards who are like marching you around and pretending to be really angry at you. I tried to high five them all and they wouldn't do it. And, uh, it's quite remarkable just as like a, as an experience uh, and very fun for kids and very enjoyable for anyone who likes trying to figure out how amusement park rides work and how their magic happens. Anyways, uh, if you are going to Disney and you're thinking, is this bullshit worth it? I'm sorry to tell you that the bullshit is worth it. Get out all your devices. Yep. <laughs> you got to get that boarding group. <laughs> Otherwise, you unless you can't experience. get a boarding group, in which case, don't worry about it. You didn't miss anything. It sucked. <laughs> all right. What are you recommending? I am recommending good. something very mundane. It is the barrel of fun two-gallon water jug from Igloo because it is like the perfect, <laughs> listen, it is the perfect size. You should have went first. I know. Sorry. Sorry you went <laughs> around for this, guys. If you've been wondering what Elizabeth's going to recommend, here we go. Here Buckle it up. Is. It's a barrel of fun. No, seriously. I have like all these water bottles that need filled all the time and I am tired of like walking trying to find like I don't know what these kids do. It's like they don't drink any water in the house and as soon as we're out and in the car they drink all the water. So anyway, I have one of the like ginormous five gallon ones that you like dump over, you know, people's heads at sporting events. That is way too big. This is like the perfect little size. It fits in your car. You can, you know, refill all the water bottles. It's great with this like heat in the summer. And if you're traveling and all of that, you don't have to worry about finding stuff. It keeps the water cold. If you're like here and you're traveling from yummy mountain water into kind of yucky desert water, you can bring the yummy mountain water with you. Like I said, not very exciting, but very practical. <laughs> Wait, so there's just a water bottle that you use to fill all the other water. It's bottles. like a you know the jugs at sporting events. It's a cool, like it's the, the orange it's thing, a cooler. right? It's a cooler. Yeah, but like this the... okay, but this one is smaller, and they're making them in retro colors. So mine is pink and yellow, but they come in all different cute colors. They're very cute. You can carry it down to the park and fill everybody's water bottle and be that mom. It has a spout, right? Oh, like you can put you can put anything you want in it. You can just bring your sangria in it too. I've only used it for water, but yes, any drink will go in it. It's nice and insulated, so you can bring your adult beverage two gallons of it with you should you need that which i mean i can think of times when i might my experience is that the little the ones with the little spout on the bottom don't do well with all the mint and mojitos so you need to find a drink mm. that doesn't have a lot of detritus in true. It. yes yeah. yeah this spout's rather large like we had some ice cubes come out you know because it's designed for like rapid release <laughs> of you know for people that sport i think i'm you just using it. it to stay hydrated <laughs> I'm All right, we're going to talk right about this water bottle a little bit more during Slate Plus, but we can probably move on for now. And on that note, the barrel of fun note, that's it. That's it for our show. So <laughs> <laughs> one last time, if you have a question for us, email us at slate.com or post it to the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Jasmine Ellis. For Dan Coy and Jamila Lemieux, I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.